At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Right Night is a talk show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it, from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart. Hey, and welcome to Write Night. I am Travis I. Sivart, author of incredible series such as what I wrote as Joe Wilson, which is an adorable trilogy of kids' books called Kids and Monsters. Check them out, as well as my regular sci-fi, steampunk, fantasy, etc. Just look me up. And I'll sign any book you want, even if it's Robert's. I don't mind. Um, beyond that, I am just bragging because I have made it through three whole episodes and not finished a whole bottle of Writer's Tears Irish whiskey that I picked up recently. So three whole episodes, it still exists. <laughs> okay. Now, tonight we're going to talk about, uh, well, giving characters blank. And we're going to flesh that out and talk a little bit more about that. Uh, while I'm having these other awesome folks I'm hanging out with introduce himself, if you guys in chat, in the live interactive chat here on twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk, would post what you're reading, writing, or creating and, and just share and build that community that way. And who are we going to start with? Let's just roll a random uh, coin. We'll go with heads as Robert and tails as Tara. Robert, why don't you start? All right. Hey, folks. My name is Robert Turk. I am an author and game designer. My company is Wicked Clever. That's wicked-clever.com on the internet. And um, let's see. I wrote the Completely Inappropriate Tales of Ganesh Cinch the Goblin books. I've written poetry. I've written short stories. I've written a middle grade novel and uh, multiple role-playing games. Tara? And I am Tara Moeller. Dreamer-in-Chief of Dream Punk Press and Authors Collective. Um, I'm also an author, um, right under my own name. And also, I have a couple of other pen names. And I'm going to switch it up by talking about T.L. Fry, which uh, is my middle grade younger YA pen name. And I have a fantasy series out, starts with a book called The Secret of Magic and Dragons. And you can download and read the first few chapters of that novel from www.dreampunkpress.com. And fun fact, if you try to follow Tara on Instagram, she'll keep you busy for a week tracking down all the different <laughs> things. Okay, so for folks here in our live interactive chat on twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk, I want to let you guys know, if you hear this noise, it means I want to interrupt somebody to read comments from our live and interactive chat. Now, for you folks actually typing the stuff in chat, we're not going to read everything. We're going to read the most relevant or the stuff that amuses us the most. Don't try too hard. We can tell. For those of you listening on the podcast, 
we do have a live interactive chat, so it's not just Tara, Robert, and myself talking and discussing and asking questions. It's them also. So now you know where to find us if you want to join us live. So we're at giving characters blank, giving them oomph, giving characters character, giving characters more, basically character building without saying such a boring thing like character building. Um, I love something as simple as a small physical trait that's repeated throughout the book. Not every paragraph, maybe a couple times between each act. Maybe a twitch of the cheek or an eye or chewing on a toothpick or flipping a coin or just always talking about orange-flavored things. It doesn't matter what it is, but it makes a character very unique and get, helps build that unique voice for that character. What about you guys? Tara. Dead air. <laughs> I know. Tara, what about you? So, that's why I mentioned T.L. Fry. Right. Instead of all the other ones. So, when I write a character... The main thing that I'm trying to do is make them seem human, seem real. Right. Um, and when you write middle grade and YA, there is this tendency you've got to make them quirky. You've got to make them, you know, the odd man out. You've got to make them something. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And then there's a way to go overboard. And um, a lot of YA, they go kind of overboard with the quirkiness of a character. <laughs> and that's... It gets I, annoying. I'm really big on making sure the name fits now, but like yes. I research on names. But... Names are important. That's, that's actually, if I can interject, where I start on a character is I want to know the character's name and I have a habit of going with that's that's where I'm going to put the quirkiness if I'm going to put quirkiness into a character I mean my character's Gander Snitch the Goblin it's a weird name but it does tell you a lot about that character my uh middle grade character Persnickety Mayweather Jones Persnickety why the heck did her parents name her Persnickety and it's a word that uh kids once they can pronounce it, once they get it, they remember it. And they want to like this character. And they want to know it. So much characterization starts with that name. I, I know why her parents named her that. Because first of all, it's fun to say. Second of all, it sounds like a flower. It also sounds like a seasoning. It's an incredible name. <laughs> they actually named her after a but um, Named her after what? A horse. Oh. Four-legged animal that pulls a carriage. Well, you, your, um, your sound went out. So what... Oh, sorry. What yeah. our whole audience heard is they actually named her after Butt. <laughs> and I felt that they, that needed clarification right there. <laughs> yeah, horse's butt. That's what they did. No. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm going to echo what Tara said. I mean, you want a character that's believable. Even, if, even with um, that character in um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, 
the 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 president, the the right. over the top. Zaphod Beeblebrox with the two heads. Right, but he's still a believable character in the world of the story. Right, and you can you can you don't have to sympathize with him. You don't have to, but you can believe him. Right, and I think if I can interject, there's a difference between your main character being over the top and a side character absolutely being over the top absolutely and, and this is why your straight man as in the comedy definition is usually the main character in the book the comedy relief is usually the secondary character because absolutely. well this might sound insulting most of us aren't that funny so it's easy to relate to the straight man, and by the way, again, gender neutral, comedic definition there, not going anywhere crazy with this. Whereas the funny best friend or the funny second character, or the funny weird president with two heads, you know, like you do. Yeah. So what was the question? It, it Am I also supposed lets you. Yeah, go ahead. It also lets you vary your tone and your pacing when your main character is not so quirky, so over the top, you interject that with your other characters that can not be stereotypes, but this character serves as the comic relief. This character serves as the voice of reason. This character serves as the investigative drive. So, Which doesn't mean your main character can't do each and every one of those or even specialize and be that character. But right. to take... Oh, I had this super funny main character, but hold on, I need to crawl in his head and show his problems with confidence and his personal issues and his worries and fears. You break that comedic thing, whereas if it's a secondary character, to break that one time in the story to show that sensitivity and depth that every human has more than one layer, we're like ogres or onions yeah. or parfaits. Um yeah, it's your your main character needs to be I don't know, specialized but broad spectrum at the same time so more people can relate or there's more points you can attach to and your secondary characters can be more specialized which makes them horribly fun. You know what? Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. The main character being the kid who I can't even think of his name now, Orlando Bloom. Right. Captain Legos. Jack Sparrow is a secondary character. He feels like a he main is. character, but he is a secondary character. Until they turned him into a Will Turner, character. thank you. Yes. In the first one. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah, in the first one and maybe even the second one, but by, yeah, like the fourth one, it, it's, or third one, worlds, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But... Go By ahead. the later movie, he is a more fleshed out character. There yeah. are stakes attached to him. There True. are risks and, and and actual motivations. He's no longer just the over-the-top drunken comedy guy. And emotional yeah. connections to other characters, which is very important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You learned some of his backstory that made him, uh, which backstory is very important especially for your main character. And you should have some backstory for all of your characters, especially if they're going to impact your main character. I have written uh, with the huge backstories with, for some of my characters. There, there's a difference between... As a between, way for me to know them. 
Right. And there's a difference between having a backstory and putting the backstory in the book. So to clarify and correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth here, Tara, Tara is saying know your characters by having a backstory. That doesn't mean write it into the book for every secondary character. Unless, as we mentioned on a previous podcast with the three of us, if it doesn't move the story forward, it doesn't belong in the book. So if that backstory moves the story forward, whether it's for the primary character or a secondary, then yeah, maybe it's it's in the right place. But if it doesn't move it forward, give it away as a freebie. Make a short story anthology of character quirks, whatever. Put it somewhere else. Doesn't belong in the book. Right. You, you know, think of, think of yourself when you go to work or you go to school, there's a whole lot more to your life than what your coworkers or co-students see. And that's what you're kind of going for. If you do, and you know, your, your character's backstory, you know, you're going to sit them down in the middle of this amazing adventure this problem, whatever it is. But they didn't they didn't just pop into existence on that day. There's a lot of stuff behind them. Are their parents still together? Are their parents divorced? Are their parents dead? Which seems to be a you know the way of the world in young adult fiction. But <laughs> You might never see their parents. They may never bring their parents up in the this in this adventure they're on. But you as the author probably need to know because that will form their reaction to maybe finding, you know, if their parents are dead and, and they meet somebody who still has parents or their parents are divorced and they meet this um, couple that are going to help them that are like, so together and so partnered that they're in awe. It's going to color their reactions to that. And for consistency, you kind of need that backstory. Travis. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday. Total tangent here. For all you role yeah. players out there, when your DM asks you, oh, is your character's parents still alive? Were they married? Were they engaged? Have they been in... There's reasons for that. When story building to give depth and believability that people can relate to, is it important to you as a player? Not if you just want to roll dice and swing a sword. Is it important to the story of the game itself? It can be. It could definitely be a building yeah. block that never needs to be mentioned in game, but it's it's the foundation of that character. And that goes for writing also. For for all of us writers out there, myself included quite often, who doesn't build a huge backstory for your character, remember, having these concepts, these building blocks of your character gives you those layers, that depth, 
that people can relate to. So as Tara just mentioned, when somebody, when you see a couple that's just together and they're just bonded or they're fucking bumping heads and they're arguing and complaining and always at each other or one's out of the picture, whether they're at work, dead, or the relationship, it adds a layer of believability and relatability that's so important, whether it's primary or secondary characters or, or further. Robert? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Tara, I, both of you actually hit on something very important there, is that, yes, the more you as a writer know about your characters, the easier it is to write those characters. Um, but you don't have to write all those details, and you shouldn't write all it, those details in the book. Right. It's... it's um, it doesn't if it doesn't move the story you know it and it can it can be between the lines it can color what you're doing but you don't have to write uh travis's parents word of war unless it's important to travis's character development and his story sorry that was the name that i pulled it was not meaning to pick on you. No, it's all good. Um, my parents were divorced uh, between all of them, considering my mother was married five times and my last stepfather yeah. eight times. Now, of course, if I add in all the mar- – I don't know. Like, yeah. like 42 yeah, is I, the answer. Um, and and even on your other characters, um, uh, for instance, in Persnickety Jones, I actually do tell one character's backstory, and it's not the main character – but it's because it sets up a very important plot point regarding the villain and the end of the story. So this side character tells a story, and it is his story, but it moves the story forward. Right. Uh, the other characters, I know where they came from, but they don't ever tell you that. And real quick, Amanda here says, just realized I functionally did not give some of my main characters a childhood. Oops, you don't have to. It's not required. Quite often, I have very little setup or background written down or thought out for my characters. I have a core of their drive. I have a quirk of their nature. And I have an arc planned for them personally beyond the story arc. And that's what I work with. All we're saying with this knowledge of depth of your characters, and a lot of people recommend, go get some of those stupid internet personality tests and run your character through it. (laughs) Pepsi or Coke, McDonald's or Burger King, uh, waterboarding or thumbnail screws. What are your preferences on these things? It needs to be known for your character. Will you ever write it in the story? Well, maybe the thumbscrew thing, but the prize, probably not, because you're worried about copyright. But, uh... Yeah. Go, go on, Robert. There, there are character worksheets right. that you can find all over the internet. And it asks you basic questions. How tall is your character? That might not, you, you might never ever say that they're specifically six foot two in in your novel. And most of the time you probably shouldn't. Top shelf. But they might have problems like fitting underneath a, 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 a like going under a fence. They're six two. That's something you might not say the specifics of. But in relations to other people, if you've got another character who's five foot, 
there, there's going to be differences there and you can use that to your advantage in the story. By the way, if you ever have a character under five foot or over six, seven, multiple times, and by the way, I don't mean seven, I mean maybe two, maybe three times in that book, have somebody ask them how tall they are. Anybody who is under five foot or over six, seven is going to relate so much because they really get asked on a <laughs> weekly basis. They really do. It's crazy. So I, I'm going to uh, sort of build off what Tara said, but disagree slightly um, in that um, uh, just going back to Persnickety Jones. I, I mean, I know that she's a fifth grader. So I have an average of how tall fifth grade girl is. Let, let me interrupt you. Is this book published yet? Yeah, absolutely. It's out there. How come I haven't seen a link for it? I don't even know what the cover Travis, looks like. This is the one that has won awards. Okay. How come you haven't like touted from the mount? Put a link in chat in a little bit. Keep going. Yeah. Um, but because I want this character, I want anybody that reads this book to be able to see themselves in the character. I never say how tall she is. I never say what color hair she has or what color her skin is because it's not important to the story. If it was important to the story, some of the other characters, I do. I talk about, you know, this character has white hair. That's significant. That's important to the story. But I want any kid that picks up this book to be able to see themselves as the right. character and go through the adventure hand in hand. So I'm very sparse on physical details on my main characters. The side characters, absolutely. I want to paint a picture with my words of what they look like. But the main character, I like leaving it sort of vague. See, I need to know all of those details. Um, I, I, I write them down. Um, and maybe again, it's because when I write, I get just I, I get pulled away from my own writing into other people's stories to edit them, and that I need that when I go back. Um, but yeah, I have, and I will write down. Do I use the the little character profile anymore? No, I know what I need. I need a hair color. Most of them will have curly, kinky hair. And if you could sometimes see my hair at, when I haven't pulled it back and straightened it, you would probably know why. Because um, I can relate to that. Is it because your hair is um, just kinky? <laughs> yeah. Go on. But, I mean, <laughs> there's things. And again, it might never show up in the actual story. Right. But I need to know... Because I need to know if that character has that kinky, curly hair. <laughs> they either love it or they hate it. Sure. And that means that they're going to, if they hate it, that means they're going to take 30 freaking minutes in the morning straightening their hair out. And I need to know that. They're going, you know, there's, there's things that, again, will never actually show up in the story other than... It's going to take her 30 minutes to get up and ready and to get out the door, at least if she's going to straighten her hair every morning. Which, that's a good um, personality quirk, by the way. Yes. Or loving it, um, or just playing with it is a quirk that could be worked in to give voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that I was at, and I think it was an SCBWI conference, that's the Society for 
children's writers and illustrators. Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. <laughs> um, and they said, that's great. You've got this physicality figured out. You've got the, their quirks figured out. You've got their flaw figured out. Their quirk is not necessarily their flaw. It can be the same thing, but it can be very different. But one thing that, um, and I can't remember if it was an editor and author, it was at a panel or whatever, they said, ask some questions of your character and have them answer, i.e. some hard questions. It may never be in the story. Okay, but it helps you to learn how you know how your character is going to react to something. For instance, um, how would your character react to the neighbor's dog barking all night long? All right, I had a pastor once who did that, and I never thought I'd hear a pastor say the F word. And whoa, <laughs> so. <laughs> How would your character react? We we can ask um, your neighbors, Tara. What? We can ask your neighbors. Oh, oh my God. Um, I'll, I'll tell you how I react to that. Might have been my dog. Might be why he was talking to me about it. But I. Anyway. How would your character react to finding a dead body? How Hopefully, the word character... "excited" doesn't pop up there right away, right? What? Hopefully, the word "excited" doesn't pop up immediately. <laughs> But if it does, what does that tell you about your character? I mean, so in learning your character, it's more than just what's their eye color, what's their hair color. Those are all good things, and you should write those down so that, you know, when you're on page 220 and you have to mention it for some reason, you're not, like, trying to do a word search through your to find out what color you said their eyes were. Um, it happens. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Try when I decided to change eye color at one point and I had to go find all of that. Yeah, no, no. Um, because in that case, uh, I, I made their eye color, I, I made a change in the character late in the game and made them re related to somebody who is, and I'm like, okay, and the way you can tell is their eye color. And I'm like, well, I got to change, make them a very distinctive eye color. Um which is why I advocate for knowing this stuff at the beginning so you you know. And then it helps you find those when you make that change. It helps you. Um, and then you can keep notes when you go about this character. If they have blue eyes and you describe them a certain way sometime, add that to your notes about that character to help you find it when you make a change. And by the way, for um, anybody that thinks I'm only writing one book, it doesn't matter. Yeah, till that second book comes up and you've got to uh, reread your whole book. To find yep. those details and then start to create your Bible or whatever you want to call it, your notes. Right. Yeah. right. I learned this uh, the hard way. And I want to tack on there. Um, all this is good stuff, but I don't want anybody to think that you have to do all of this before right. you start writing your book. And that's why um, I said I if, don't. I don't normally yeah. have it by the end of the book. So <laughs> I, I don't go and take – I have taken some personality tests as Gandersitch, just, <laughs> I, but I know that character inside and out. I live in. Hey, in, Robert, um, I, I feel like that yeah. would be a fun stream. Right. To do personality tests yeah. as Gandersitch. Yeah. I'll, I'll queue it up. That's going to happen. I think we should do one where we all take them. But, um, but don't let uh, this 
slow you down or stop you mm -hmm. from writing? These are questions you can answer as you go along. Um, Which Werdewin just put in them. chat, by the way, if you want to read yes. that comment. Uh, uh, the last one, I yeah. think, putting them at the bottom of the page. I do something very similar. I add them to my Google brainstorming. If it's right. something I need to remember a character, I type in their name and I add it to my doc. So that, like everybody else is saying, it's easy to find. I'm not going to search back, unless I absolutely have to, search back through my entire book to figure out um, what color eyes a character had. Uh, hopefully I never mentioned it. But <laughs> um, if I did, yeah, I, I will try and write it down on that mm -hmm. Google Doc. Um, but I, one of my favorite recent novels that I think has amazing characterization uh, is is a book called The Bees by Laline Paul. And it was a science fiction novel about a bee. But the bee is, story is told as if this bee were a human being. So they the, the author does not describe Here's the only sound that's tolerable when a migraine attack strikes. Nurtec ODT Remezepan 75 milligrams can provide migraine pain relief, which can help break the silence. Nurtec is the first and only medication proven to treat and prevent migraines in adults. Don't take if you're allergic to Nurtec. The most common side effects were nausea, stomach pain, and indigestion. For important safety prescribing and patient information, visit nurtec.com. Slain TV, built to save you money and bring you the channels you love, including ESPN, AMC, HGTV, and more. Watch your favorite comedies, dramas, suspense thrillers, news, sports, and more for just $35 a month. And your first month is only 10 bucks. Sign up now and start streaming right away on your TV, phone, and tablet. Take control of your TV solution with Sling. It makes TV flat out better. Go to Sling.com to sign up now and get your first month for just $10. What the bee looks like. It doesn't describe how tall the bee is. It only deals in that bee's actions and that bee's motivations and that bee's thoughts and fears. And that's what drives the story forward. I'm not going to spoil it. But I did halfway through the novel stop. If I may, like, am I? Yep. Amanda says so. A human being. Go right. on. I stopped because I thought I was visualizing it wrong. I'm like I am seeing these characters as humans, not as bees, even though they're doing bee things. So I stopped and I looked up the author's website. I'm like. Am I supposed to see these characters as humans or bees? And the author responded, yes. Um, so, and then when there was more in depth later, but yes, you're supposed to see them at, you're supposed to relate to them. And of course you can't relate to them on the level of a bee. You're not a bee. So you relate to them as a human being, even though this character is a bee and amazing detailed characters that never once mentioned six legs and shiny wings or or anything like that you knew what the characters wanted and how they felt uh and that's what drove the story forward uh amazing book though if you have a chance to read it uh, it's one of my favorites now when was that published Is that it sounds uh, like a newer 14 so relatively new yeah 2014 yep okay 
So let me, I don't see any specific questions in chat, just a, an incredible amount of comments that I'm loving. But for us here, as we look at giving characters more, do you have any tricks that over the past five, ten years that you've just learned to make a character, and by the way, I'd really like to split this into two separate questions of antagonist versus protagonist, because I love my villains. They are so fun to write. They are quite often, I feel guilty saying this, I feel like they're more interesting than the uh, main characters. Yeah, they can be. we'll, We'll pop this over to Tara real quick. Tricks, formulas, thoughts on making them more relatable, besides what we've already talked about, more, more, mm, yeah, do that. Um, when I think about a character flaw, um, I think about a flaw that is very, very close to me, probably one that I have, Mm -hmm. or one that maybe my husband or my kid has, Um, because I know that flaw, and I know the ramifications of that flaw. Um, I know sometimes I've read manuscripts and a character has this flaw that never impacts anything. I'm I'm gonna interrupt real quick. Or it's just so bad it's like how do they get anywhere with it? So before we lose this comment here, Kennedy says sometimes an argument between two characters can quickly reveal who they are. Yeah. And I'll just leave that sitting there. You can reply to it or whatever, but that is definitely a great point. So you were saying, Tara. Yeah. When you're, I've, I've read, like I said, manuscripts where the, the character has a flaw mm-hmm. that never addressed. And they never learn from. Right. And they never, it, it's, a, it's this flaw that. There's never when you when you have a flaw in the character, there should be growth in the character understanding that flaw. I mean, when you if you're just going to give them some kind of flaw that does nothing for the story, does nothing for their growth, don't bother. Um, On the other hand, like in the movie Solo, no flaws. And that's horrible. Solo had no flaws. Yeah, yeah, the the original solo, well, the new solo movie. Han Solo as a character in the Star Wars series of movies, totally flawed. Great character. Yeah. In the solo solo movie, no flaws. <laughs> and really, or they tried to turn all his bad points into positives for him. which you can do that, but you got to show that twist and turn. He never becomes right. a selfish bastard. That he was later where he redeems himself or actually has that secret heart of gold or whatever. So, yeah, having a flaw and not ever addressing it, why even have that flaw? 
or yeah. having no flaws. Ugh. How is that relatable? Because yeah. we're all a little bit or more broken. So, to use your example, I think the flaw that we're trying to get at in the solo movie, the prequel solo movie, uh, was that he was very, very trusting. He didn't think anybody was bad. Um. I can see that. I, I could definitely yeah, see that, but it's it is a thin flaw. That we know from the original, so yeah, I don't know that it was executed very well. It wasn't, but I could see where you're coming from with that because that yeah. definitely, yeah, is a problem, and it's something that in the Star Wars universe they 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 do it well with their villains, not so much with their. Heroes, of course. Yeah, well, not even. Not even, even just that would be a hero to begin with, but that's not even just the Star Wars universe. It is a common problem with lots of universes, lots of writers there, uh, and and there's a term for it, Mary Sue to yep. to Mary Sue their protagonist. By and the way, if I could jump in real quick. To add something to it, Amanda says in my story, the main difference between protagonist and antagonist is that the protagonists learn from their flaws, the antagonists get destroyed by them. And I think that's a very reasonable way to look at these flaws where do you shift them so you can overcome them or do you get obsessed with them and they break you? Yeah, I don't know that you have to have an antagonist that's broken in every story, but I they certainly probably don't from their flaws. They don't have the same character growth and redemption that your protagonist has. Um, which kind of actually segues us into your other question about antagonists. Um, and what makes a good antagonist I the, the I I come from a theater back very first performance I did um uh, at senior year in high school, I was playing the villain of this piece. And Oops, the director asked me, he goes, what villain do you relate to? And I said, oh, this guy is Scar. He's Scar from the Lion King. And he goes, okay, Scar doesn't realize he's the bad guy. Right. He doesn't realize he's the villain of the piece. Everything he does, he does for a reason. Now, they're selfish reasons, but he believes in what he's doing. And I think that's right. what makes a good antagonist. I agree. There's very few that are, I'm the bad guy, and fully embrace being evil or bad for badness sake. They are, they believe in what they're doing. There's very few of them, and usually they don't work. I can't think of a single right. one that are bad for the sake of being bad, and it works And by the way, to clarify a little bit, I have one uh, villain in Harbinger. He's just mad, as in he is, he's he's insane. He has slipped a cog, not all the wheels are turning, and he's so fun to write. Because he's not actually out to hurt anybody, he's just on this path of his past, of this power hunt, but he's not doing it to control anybody it's just that's the direction he was going and he's coasting right. with it 
um, a way to look at it is, you know, everybody's the hero of their own story. Yes. And it's just, whose story are we hearing? Right. Um, because I think you can, you know, make the argument that the protagonist um, still doing things for their for selfish reasons. Oh, they totally can be. Most um, of us are throughout our whole life. Exactly, because you, you you don't do something that doesn't at least peripherally benefit you. Nobody, uh, very, very few people want to be the martyr. <laughs> well, until you get tired of living, <laughs> then you're okay well, with it. And that, that also brings up, I, I mean, the protagonist is, it's, it's, I hesitate to say it's the character you're supposed to side with in the story, but it sort of is. It's the character whose journey you're supposed to follow and yeah. grow with as they do. You are supposed to side with that one. Uh, like the Disney movies have taken this thing recently. Last 10 years is recent to me, folks. But uh, where they're telling the villain story and you sympathize with I didn't see Cruella DeVille, so I don't know. But you sympathize with Maleficent. I sympathize with her, but you did with Maleficent. Yeah. You did with Maleficent. She was the hero of that story. Even though she's a villain, she mm -hmm. was the hero of that story. She was the protagonist. Yeah, they, they gave you the story of what made her into a villain. Yep. What motivated her to make those decisions well, that we saw in... Sleeping Beauty. It also gives you the perception of they're both heroes in their own head. They're both villains mm -hmm. in the other one's head. So, right. Right. you know, when you're looking at Maleficent, the whole situation has come up against her, even though she's right or correct. And right. that's a beautiful thing. When you can write a story where both your villain and hero are right depending which side of that story you're writing at the moment i think you've mm -hmm. done something kind of cool right there yes um, so now, if you're writing for kids your villains should be the bad guys they don't have to be like evil right. bad guys but you don't get so much into that gray area of oh well, maybe the villain's right there's times i'm halfway through a movie or a television series or whatever and i'm like Who's the bad guy here? <laughs> and it, the modern DC universe it, has well, that question. And watch it. Not not so much because if we look at the modern DC universe, it's pretty black and white. Who the good guy? Who the bad guy is? Now the bad guys are shades of gray, or I'm sorry, the good guys are shades of gray, but the right. bad guy is bad. Right. You know they're the villain. Or Black Panther. Right. That's Marvel, but yeah. Actually, Civil War across the board, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy? That is so shades right. of gray. And that's great. Right. But yeah, when you're writing for kids, it's kind of better to have a more black and white situation. and th this Because we're teaching well, them morals. Yeah. And you don't even have to go black and white, but it's uh, where, where you were talking about the balance in Maleficent, where, you know, both the, the villain and the hero flipped and they're both right in, in in that is that is hard to pull off 
I think, in children's writing. Mm. And it's it's even harder to just not confuse the heck out of the kids. Like, you don't want angry letters from parents saying... Yeah, but the kids aren't the ones that are confused. It's the parents that are confused. Well, there you go. But this is why Wolverine should have always been an adult comic. I'm not saying adult yeah. content, but adult situations. in Because it is a gray world. And, and yeah. he walks that line, and he's on both sides of it. So now we're getting into a whole other area. Let's move back. Though I, I don't know. Can we talk about the anti-hero for a minute as a character? Because this is something I've been so passionate about lately. And, and by the way, Tara, when we're off air, I want to talk to you a little bit about my latest book, if you can remind me okay. about that. Uh, Kennedy says, that's why Loki is so much fun. Batman... Wolverine, Punisher, Ghost Rider, um, and and the fun fact in Civil War, they kind of turned Captain America, the most shining, beautiful example of a hero, into an anti-hero because he went yep. against the establishment. Yep. And, and so much of my writing lately, I, I've been gravitating gravitating towards the anti-hero because it's just this great concept of what do you do when your character has a point of view that doesn't match the majority and there's reasonable reasons behind that behavior hopefully you write a damn good story I'm a crap writer to begin with so wish <laughs> me luck on this <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't know that I've ever written an anti-hero. The closest I get is Ganderson the Goblin, who thinks he is a villain. Like, he thinks... <laughs> he's an anti-villain. Is that what I'm hearing? He's an anti-villain. <laughs> he is. He's an anti-villain. He thinks he's the bad guy in his own story, which goes against everything we just talked about. But he thinks he's he's following the, the trope of being a goblin, when really, he doesn't realize it, but he's got a heart of... So he keeps doing the right thing by people, even though he's trying to be a bad guy. Um, so, yeah, That's he's an anti-villain. That's delightful. It's, by the way, Tara, in, in Silver and Smith that I'm editing right now, one of the primary villains turns out to actually be an anti-hero. Okay. So by the beginning of the third act, he's flipped from where he was before, where he was hunting and trying to kill the heroes through the whole book. Now he's like, hold on, I'm going to help you. And they're like, Hank did her thing. What? It's, uh, so yeah, that's some of the stuff I'd like to talk about after the show. Cause we're coming up to the time where we're, we're at that fine line of it's time to do the wrap up, but we're still chatting. So we got more to talk about. We want to do the recap and wrap up or I have I have two points I want to make and I can hit them and read. Okay, how about we th we'll take turns. Robert two points, rebuttal from Tara and I. Tara anything you got, then wrap up. Sound good? Good for me. Go Robert. So, something that's been a little bit hit on but not that we have not hit it hammer on the the head here. Um, write what you know. And in order to write good characters, 
write the people that you know. Uh, and that's not to say I'm going to put Travis in my book. Sorry, Travis. But take the traits. Your book can't There's handle two- the Travis. I know. Um, <laughs> take the traits of people that you know and love or hate and weave them into your characters. And that will make your characters believable because we all know people that fit these traits. A lot of folks ask me, are the two kids in my Persnickety Jones book my children? They're not. But you better believe as a parent, I pulled things that happened to my kids or things my kids do because all kids do things like this and wrote them into those characters. And that's I relatable. I use their friends. Yeah, and it's relatable. I use their friends. I used my friends, my memories from growing up to write my characters. So it goes back to that old adage of write what you know. You can make believable characters by by pulling from the people around you. And by the way, that you know, there's probably a better way to say that. Write what you know doesn't mean write your life story, write your personal experience. It means draw elements from what you've experienced or seen to be true into your story. That's what write what you know means. Absolutely. What else? What was your second point? Well, I was uh, on that first point still. A lot of people watch is a great way to write characters. I hate people watching. I look like a creep if I'm out there sitting in a food court or wherever else just watching people. So I don't do it. I don't people watch. I don't even want to leave my house where the people are. But I know people, right? So you pull from them. My second point, and this is a fast one, um, one of the great ways to learn to write characters, or one of my favorite ways, is to read biographies. Um, I think it was Stephen King who recommended read a genre that you don't write in. I don't write biographies, but I love reading interesting biographies um, because this is stuff that happened to actual people. And you think, oh, I can't have my character. That's totally off the wall. It never happened. Oh, but it did. And it happened to a real person. So when you have. Let me interrupt real quick. Amanda says. The secret is to play a musical instrument while you people watch. So it looks like you're doing something else. <laughs> Go on, Robert. You just sit there with your phone right below the... No, your bagpipes. <laughs> right. Uh, but I find I can pull great characterization and just spark those ideas in my head from reading biographies because that's what that's about. That's a whole book about a character. By the way, That's Robert. what I got. You look so annoyed when I ding that bell to interrupt you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but that was funny. Tara, what do you got? Um, yeah. Morvin can pinpoint them in every one of the books that I write. <laughs> they're never the main character, but they're there. And Morvin will go, I know that character. And I'll say, yeah, you do. So, yes, that is basically to say, yeah, you know people. Put them in your stories and give them a different name. Maybe not as blatantly as I do with my kid, but, you know, mix it up a little bit. And that's why I said, you know, when you, I think it's especially important when you look at flaws. And I kind of touched on this earlier. So that the flaw is believable and based in reality, unless it's sci-fi or 
you know, something where you can have like a magical flaw. You can't really, that's not something that you can center in reality. But, and this is something one of my authors has in her novels. She's dyslexic. Her main character is dyslexic and it shows up in her magic with its rune-based magic. And so she struggles with getting the runes right and recognizing them all the time because she's dyslexic. So you can do that, something, like you said, writing what you know and even putting that and making it work in a fantasy and it being a a flaw in a character. And again, it's it's something that character can't help and they're never really going to come, she's never, that character's never really going to get over it other than, you know, she gets something that helps her and, and, and gets better. But again, like, I agree with, I guess my points are I'm agreeing with Robert. <laughs> okay. My thoughts on this is to give characters more, to build on this, flaws is where it's at. We all have flaws in our own head. We are our own worst critic. You want to look at, we're worried about how we look, how we smell, how we interacted. If what we just said where the person gave a one-letter response to that text hurt their feelings or offended them, or when somebody calls out our name saying, I need to talk to you, you're in trouble. These are go-to emotional responses that the vast majority of us, you know, besides sociopaths and psychopaths, we, these are go-to responses. We constantly live with anxiety of certain types. And if you can grab, I'm calling them flaws, they're human nature, but they're relatable. There's something almost every single person that picks up your book will go, I felt that way before. So we're not looking at flaws like he has a huge nose with a pimple on it. We're not looking at flaws like, I want to kill everybody. We're looking at flaws <laughs> as those day-to-day -day of, what do they think about me? What am I going to do next? I don't know what to do. These are relatable flaws that you can give to every character with different shades, different filters on it, and create something that readers go, I know how that feels. I haven't been in that situation, but I know how they're feeling right now. I mean, they're they're in this incredible, amazing adventure, and they're worried about what this other person thinks about them. Use that. They're worried about dinner. Yes, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. That day-to-day -day stuff. You know, I've been gone for three days on whatever I'm doing. What does so-and-so? So think, my parents, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my best friend, my dog. You know, my cat's home alone. Who's feeding my cat? How many people can't relate to that when they're at work, let alone gone for three days? And by the way, I know we have a certain viewer right now that's just panicking and going to go check on their cats right now. Um, now, before I wrap this up, because we, we're we good, everybody at good? Any wrap-up or anything you're else you need us, to say, Tara? You're asking the audience. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's what I want to look at here. Uh, apparently, Andrea's going to play. <laughs> We're going to sit in a mall, people watch, while she's playing a bagpipe, and I'm doing a didgeridoo. We're totally yeah. not she stalking said, We're going to start a band so that authors can people watch. We're going to start a band. Excuse. Um, I can play the spoons, man. Really? I've, I've got bones and spoons I can lend you. 
So, but we, what what what's the third instrument we had? Didgeridoo and bagpipes. What was oh, it? Uh, oh, oh, the Amanda Tashi Goto. Something. Yeah. Yeah, Amanda plays something. Okay, so I, uh, I I can play the Native American flute and the stringed mountain dulcimer. I have a Native American flute right there within reach. Cool. I, I can. Well, we can jam some point. Yes. Mine is not within. You reach. know, I don't know if two Native American flutes playing simultaneously was ever referred to as jamming, but. Oh, you you don't run in the same circles. <laughs> I don't run. You could stop it there. I don't run. <laughs> um, okay, man. Let's. <laughs> God, I love our chat. Anyhow, if anybody's listening to the podcast, going, wait, what? Too bad. Come to chat on <laughs> Twitch.tv/slash Travis Talk. Okay, guys. We have an email address. If you want to throw your thoughts in on this topic, ask us to talk about other topics, or just pass on a message to other people you want us to read on air, you can email us at rightnightshow at gmail.com. That's right with a W, night with an N, and show with a shh. So beyond that, for those that have joined us live and in person here, I want to thank you for your support by... All that merchandise that you guys grabbed earlier, so much appreciate all those t-shirts, mugs, shot glasses, and pint glasses for a Travis Tavern talk that's out there. I cannot say enough how flattering that is. As well as the bits that you guys threw, the subscriptions, the hosts, the raids, and those that support us on Patreon, Coffee or Kofi, however you like to say it, and PayPal with your monthly subscriptions. You guys are awesome. Making a little hand heart shape. There you go. Okay, let's get some outro music, and uh, we will catch you guys next time on Right Night. Robert, you're a star! Thank you for joining author Travis I. Sivar and the other writers, content creators, and all-around amazing people for our discussion here on Right Night. Join us again soon, and until you do, make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right now. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday.